you gotta stay as best as you can in this moment because we do not know what's going to happen tomorrow we don't know how how it's going to be you know you are surviving today <laughs> stay stay in today as best as you can because when you start straddling the past and the future you're going to really be off balance you're going to lose your clarity i i believe that we are built for the reality of this present moment that we can handle in this present moment whatever comes our way what we can't handle is um, trying to go too far into the future and trying to manage what we don't even know yet how it's going to be then i think we start to lose our clarity but if we can stay in this moment and stay clear through our meditation through our yoga through our prayer through our connection with nature whatever it is for you then we have access to our own innate wisdom and resourcefulness to find our way in the next in the next moment life is going to give you challenges struggles it's going to force you to face your fears even though these may feel like your worst enemy in truth these are actually your greatest allies my name is lance isios welcome to the university of adversity Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are having an amazing day today. I had an awesome conversation with this amazing person. Her name is Carla Royal. We, yeah, cannot say enough good things about her. She's been in this game for a long time. She's a mindset performance coach. She works with high achieving, high performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with hidden anxiety and too much mental chatter. Carla's been in this game for probably, I think it's since 1990. And she's been working with people and her story is incredible about how she had to go through what she went through in her life, had to reinvent herself and get on a new path. And it's, she's just got such a calm, um, soft nature about her that was just so easy to speak with. And I'm even gonna be hopping on a, a call with her um, very soon as well to kind of discuss, you know, some of the stuff that I've gone through, because as you guys will hear about this, as we get right into, I kind of talk about my anxiety and how it's been an issue in my life. And I'm okay to open up about that because it's been something that's really held me back. And she's just so awesome at, um, helping deal with this stuff. And, you know, somebody that's been doing this for so long, um, it's, it's great to get her insight into this stuff. And I know a lot of you listening out there have probably had anxiety or some sort of mental chatter at some point. And some people think it's normal. Some people accept it, but you also have some people don't realize that it's holding them back. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this. I know I did. I had a great conversation with Carla and uh, she is awesome. So Carla Royal coming right up. And here we go, Carla. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Lance. I'm delighted. <laughs> I uh, I wanted to make sure that we started to hit play before we get into the good stuff. So, <laughs> yes, I think it's going to be very interesting. So you've been doing all this stuff for so long, and I'm sure that you've seen so many things and different ways of dealing with anxiety and um, these pressures that people feel. And I've seen probably you've changed over the years on how these things happen in people's lives. And, you know, I, I, this is something that for me, anxiety has been really apparent my whole life. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that came from my mom and I came from a, a family of, of uh, a lot of just kind of like your story, like a lot of fighting and really intense emotional. Um, it, it was just a really, it was a really emotionally challenging time. And over the years, I really started to notice the anxiety. So, you know, what is something that you noticed that, you know, these high performers that you work with, like what, how do they, how does anxiety, how does it come into their life? You know, like, is it usually the same way or is it something that people develop over time? I really am not sure I know the answer to, to that, how it develops for people. I do think that um, there are people who have anxiety and they don't recognize it as such. Um, you know, that it's because anxiety, the feeling of anxiety is actually very much like the feeling of excitement. And the difference between, I, I tell this little story of um, Pema Chodron. Have you heard of Pema Chodron? She's no. a Buddhist, Buddhist nun. She's an author. She's just delightful. She writes these simple, wonderful life wisdom books. And she was describing one day being on a cruise with her son on a big ship, not with her son, with her grandson. Mm-hmm. And she said he wanted to go up on the bow of the ship and do the, the kind of the, um, the Titanic, you know, stretching way out like that. And she got, went up there with him and she started to feel anxiety. She started to feel very nervous. And she described that to her grandson. She said, grandson, I'm, I'm, my heart is racing and my, you know, my skin is tingling. And she described the sensations of anxiety. And she was afraid. And he looked at her and he said, me too, grandma, me too. He was feeling the same sensations, but he experienced them as excitement. The feelings can be very similar, but the story behind those sensations were what, that was what was different. So he had one story, she had another story, they had the same sensations, and one experienced it as something pretty awful, and the other experienced it as something really exciting, you know, really exciting. So, you know, I think that uh, underneath anxiety is, is uh, a lot of fear. Um, that is sort of disguised a little bit and it can come out in a lot of different ways where you may recognize it as anxiety or you may think of it as stress or you may think of it as um, certain sensations or you may think of it as wanting to hide. There are lots of ways that it can manifest and it depends on the story you have with how, how it manifests and um, what you know about anxiety. So a lot of people have the anxiety and they don't know what it is, or they've had it for so long that they're just so accustomed to it. They just think, well, this is just how life is. So they don't recognize it sometimes. And other people know exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, speaking for myself, it's been something that's really held me back in my life. And when I was younger, I used to get, I didn't know what anxiety was. My mom used to get it really bad because, you know, from her background and, and I, I just had this sort of this subtle nervousness that I didn't really understand this subtle, like, I don't want to be late and walk into a group of people at our hockey game. I wanted to be there early because there was this weird, like nervousness and nervousness when I played sports, which I think is a little bit normal. But later on, 
I really felt what that like anxiety attack feels like where it was like a heart, like your heart races and you feel like you're going to pass out. That's a scary feeling that I never had before. And mm-hmm. I feel like that, that stuck with me over the years. And then I kind of, I kind of went back and forth, like feeling that sort of control, trying to control that panicky feeling. And mm-hmm. I think identifying it is just so important. Like how many people are just feeling that and don't really even know they just think that's normal. Like mm-hmm. do you see that a lot? People just going around with this nervousness and they just think, well, that's just the way I am. I, I think so. I think that a lot of people do think it's just the way they are. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that they are completely okay with it. I just don't think they know of any other way to do anything about it. But I I have a question for you, Lance, because you said that it's really held you back and let, and yet look at you. (laughs) You're very successful. You're doing your interior work. You're doing your exterior work. So it's interesting that you would frame it, that this has held you back. Yeah, I think, I think it's been just a level of, um, I, it comes and goes, you know, and I did, I had a big partying background and I did a lot of stupid drugs when I was younger in my twenties and it really kind of messed with me, but I had, I guess it's kind of that fear. Yeah. Like I, I've been, I, over the time it's just been, it's taking certain risks and being in the right headspace to kind of calm the the chatter of like, well, you failed before in certain things. So why aren't you going to fail in this? And I've gotten better at it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having this podcast and talking to people like yourself has completely changed my life. But I mean, up until this point, it was a real issue. And I had to really control my diet, what I, how, how I did things. And still to this day, you know, it, it pops up in, in certain circumstances. If I don't sleep enough, if I drink too much coffee, that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. certain situations, it gives me this panicky feeling. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, where is that coming from? Why? Like, I, I feel safe. Like, and I just find the whole topic just so fascinating. You know, like it's. Yeah. Well, you know, a question I have for you is what would it be like for you and for our listeners if you knew, number one, you have a hundred percent survival rate so far. Yeah. You have a hundred percent survival rate. So you're doing something right. And two, if you weren't so afraid of those feelings that we all have from time to time, like what if, what if you knew that the anxiety was not a problem? Like, because what happens is you get these sensations, you get these feelings and, and somewhere along the line, we decide, you decide that it's a problem and you decide that you have to fix it. And in that fixing, there's a way in which that kind of revs it up, kind of jacks you up a little bit when you're trying to get rid of it. And, and there's a way in which if you just let your, your system, your psychological system is always seeking equilibrium. It wants to come back to balance. And when we don't tinker with it too much, it will come back to balance. You could think of it like, a, like if you cut yourself. If you cut yourself, what do you do? You clean it up, you give it a little bit of attention, you clean it up, and then you leave it alone. The body heals it. You don't actually heal it. That's just what the body does. Your psychological system is very much the same. You get a little, you get a little psychological injury 
little anxiety and your body, your, your psychological system goes to work to bring you back to balance. But what we do is we have this tendency with the old, old psychology, newer psychology coupled with brain science is, is kind of leading a new way. But in the old psychology, it was you go in there and you just tinker, you tinker it to death. You go relive the memories again and again and again. It's good to, 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 um, to visit there to give it some attention, but to go back in there again and again and again, it would be like pulling off that, that, um, that bandage from your physical wound and pulling open the cut to see if it's healing properly. You've got to leave it alone in a way, and which is not the same as denial, which is not giving it any attention. You know, I, I like what you said about it being the same sort of thing as almost excitement. The, only, the other time I heard that was Sam Harris said that too. And that really made me think differently about it because there is a certain amount and you're right. It's kind of like the labels that we give it because it's anxiety. It's like, it's a negative feeling or fear, but excitement. It's like, Oh, it's okay. I'm excited. It's normal. Yeah. Like I'm going to meet somebody new. I'm a bit, it doesn't have to be anxiety. It's excitement. I'm going to a sports game. Yeah. Like, of course I'm going to be a bit excited. Right. Right. Well, I, my mother was a singer and, and I do some singing and she, I used to say, I get so scared, mama. I'm so scared. I get so anxious. And she said, you need some of that because it, uh, it without any of that energy, you're going to be a little bit flat. You know, you're not going to yeah. be very alive. And I think it's the same for sports. You need, you need a little bit of that, a little bit of stress for the body is actually good. Mm. It kind of brings our energy up. And so we don't, we don't want to not have any of that. Yeah. It's actually a helpful thing. And when we can understand that, oh, this little bit of anxiety, this little bit of stress I'm feeling is good. It's getting my energy up so that I can perform really, really well. You think about the people who chase fear. I went bungee jumping when I was, I don't know, somewhere around 50, a little bit, maybe around 50. I'm telling you what. I was terrified, but I dove head first. And I think that that is like really, really normal <laughs> to be terrified when you're hurling yourself off of, you know, hundreds of feet. And so there's not a problem with that. It's like, that's like normal. I'm doing something new. The brain has two primary, um, primary focuses, uh, intentions. One is to keep you safe. And the second one is to conserve energy your brain um, gets a little confused about what safety is and it, and, it, and it says that familiarity is safe. So anytime we're doing something new, our brain is go going to object. And there's a way in which we have to override that by simply going forward, whether or not we're nervous, which is what you've done all your life, Lance, is you've, you've had these feelings, but you've gone ahead with your life anyway. But... Yeah. Not only have you done that, you've also told yourself a story that there's a problem here. I shouldn't have this. When really, I'm not sure that's true. Would you say that, okay, so let's, how do we break down the difference between, let's say, anxiety, excitement, or fear? And do you see that most of this, because I've been talking about trauma and, deal, and, and looking into trauma a lot lately. Um, and the effects it has later on. Are mm -hmm. most anxieties, is that, does that come from trauma? Or like, how, do, how does it start? 
how does anxiety like how do we how how do we how does it start and how do we distinguish that between anxiety versus excitement i guess bit of mm-hmm. a loaded question i'm just trying to like articulate what i mean um, yeah you know where does it come from first of all like how does that start i i'm not sure but i think that part of it at least is just kind of the the condition of being human <laughs> You know, it's like we come into this body, these, these grand, these, these divine spirits come into this very limited body and we're separated from source when we're born in a way. And so there may be just some, some existential, you know, something or another bubbling. And then we we're born into these families where, um, you know, these families, this culture, certain religions who, who begin to indoctrinate us, if you will, um, with certain beliefs about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman and how you must be, you know, women must be soft and pretty and not too loud. Men must be, um, be powerful and, and, um, not very sensitive. You know, these are some of the messages we get. And so we are literally, um, from the time we're very young, cut off from parts of ourselves that, that aren't acceptable. So I think the anxiety can begin to set in then. And then you're around people who have taken this on for years and years and years and years, and they are your caregivers. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of start to pick it up. Oh my gosh, I should be afraid. I should be scared. I should be anxious. And there are a lot of demands on how we're supposed to be in this world. And if we're not, we get kind of, you know, we get our hands slapped or we get knocked down a notch to keep us in line. And yeah, so I think some anxiety ensues. And I think what's different from anxiety and fear is that if you think about an antelope on the savanna, the antelope is grazing, alert and aware. The antelope knows that there are lions out there, but it's relaxed and aware and alert. Now let's say that the lion jumps out, the chase is on, cortisol, adrenaline just courses through that antelope. That's there to protect that antelope. It courses through that antelope. The chase is on. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the lion turns away. And within minutes, that antelope is settled down again, relaxed and alert, grazing. What the antelope doesn't do that humans do do is antelope very much lives in the present moment. So the antelope doesn't go now that tiger, where did that tiger go? And when is it going to come out? I've got to be so that that antelope is not on alert 24 seven. And the system is designed that way. But adult, but, but humans, we're living in our past. I failed then what makes me think I'm not going to fail the next time, or they're projecting fearful imaginations into the future. And the brain doesn't know the difference between our imaginations and reality. So if you're living, if you're imagining a stressful story about you're going to fail, then your brain thinks that's real and says, oh, I'm failing. So you experience that. So now you're on alert 24 seven instead of those few minutes that your body is designed to do. And I think that's where trauma sets in is when we don't let go of Uh, We don't let go of whatever just happened. Now, the antelope may have been killed. I mean, that the antelope knows that that's very possible, but it doesn't live in the fear of that. 
It just trusts it bo- its body to do what it needs to do in moments like that. Mm. And when we get triggered, we kind of revert back into our primitive reptilian part of our brain, and then all bets are off. We can't, we can't access you know, the, the higher level brain functioning that tells us, you know what, there are no saber-toothed tigers anymore, and you're okay. There is no imminent danger. This, this jacked up system um, is meant for imminent danger, but we humans tend to live there. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when we deplete our system. Yeah, it's so true and interesting. Do you, do you find or do you think that we as humans just create bigger problems than we need to? Like, you know, it, it being like, again, like the anxiety versus excitement. And in the society we live with, take drugs all the time and, you know, medicate. Do you think a lot of times people just kind of over-exaggerate where, what the issue is and it's just part of life? It's, you know, like, because we're all like, it's like you said, I feel like there's that, that fear that what you're feeling is, is different. And it's like, oh, it's a huge problem. Oh, and then you give it that story and that meaning and you get yeah. stuck in that. Do you see yeah. that a lot? Oh, yes. I mean, and you, you made a, a great point. Humans are meaning-making machines. So we want to make this mean something. Whatever this just happened to me, you know, uh, my partner and I just went on vacation and, and it hasn't rained in forever. And it started raining as we're leaving for vacation. I'm saying, now, isn't that just the way it is? Well, that the rain was not personal. The ra- I'm making some meaning about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just rain, but I... I want to make some meaning about it. And so, yeah, I do think that, that we, um, we, we get in trouble when we don't recognize our stories or our narrative about what's going on. And we think that the problem, you know, our brains don't know the difference between our imaginations and, and reality. And neuroscience shows us that we aren't experiencing what's happening out there. We're actually experiencing our perception of what's out there. So if I have, if I, ha- so here's a, here's an, a, a, an example of what I mean. If, if someone's sitting across from you, Lance, and they have glasses on and they, they pull their glasses down on the end of their nose and look out at you over your glasses, are you going to, is that going to be weird for you? Are you going to feel something funny about that? Yeah. Are you? Well, I don't know. So, so here I am. Oh, no, unless it's like, you, no. unless it's, no, no, not okay. like that. No, well, no, no. I have. Mm. And here's why. It had nothing to do with someone pulling their glasses down over their eyes, but it, what it has to do for me is I grew up with an alcoholic mother. And when she was drinking, the minute she pulled her, her glasses down over her nose, I knew that she had crossed into a drunken state. Wow. And I had to be on guard. So whenever I sat across from somebody who did that, I, my limbic system, you know, my body would go into, okay, brace yourself, prepare yourself to, you know, you, you're, you may not be safe here. So you've got to defend yourself. And it took me a long time to sort of go, oh my gosh, that's just this story I have. That's not true. You know, there's no problem with you pulling your glasses down on the edge of your nose. <laughs> it, it, it's no problem at all. So, so the issue is not that, that someone pulls the glasses down. The issue is my story about it, my narrative about it, the meaning I make about it. And that's what caused my suffering in those moments. Ah, that's so interesting. 
I just had like this thing come into my, into my head about growing up and how it comes into my relationships. I remember when my parents would get in fights, I was, it would be like this time where I would retreat and I just, oh, I wouldn't want to, and I wouldn't want to deal with it. And I'd hide because it was just like, we had so much fighting growing up. It was just part of life. And all the relationships I had in my teens and, you know, girlfriends over the years, it was like, that was almost normal. But then I would always want to retreat. Like as soon as it got to that level, it was like, yeah, I could just feel that like where it was in my family. <laughs> like yes. it's, and like, you just, you kind of are programmed to like, want to do what you did. Yeah. Kid or whatever. These like these meanings that you give to these moments or these yeah. feelings that you get. Isn't that fascinating? Like how that happens? It is. It's a habit of thought. And again, your brain wants to conserve energy, which is why habits are so effective. Mm. Is it's a way of not having to do every little bit of the process, like you know, redo every bit of it again and again. But it's but sometimes it backfires on us yeah. in situations like you just described. Now the great news about our brains is that, that that there's you know, our brains are are you know have plasticity and they can change. Um, and once we bring awareness to it, then we have the opportunity to change our stories, to change our narrative, to question our stressful stories, uh, because the, the, because when we are living in a in a story, a, a, a um, frightening, stressful story about our future, uh, our brain doesn't know the difference, mm. and it just lives it again and again and again and again. Instead of, it's not that bad things don't happen, but instead of living it the one time it happens. Now we're living it a hundred times, either by recalling it from the past or projecting into the future. And that causes just an incredible overwhelm and incredible mental chatter that, that just keeps us from our own clarity and wisdom. What, what made you want to get into all this stuff? Like, how did you get into all this studying this stuff and really like, you know, helping people? Like, how did you, what made you want to start it all? Well, when I was, how much time do you have, Lance? <laughs> oh, we got time. <laughs> I was 25. I was just struggling with so much depression and anxiety. And um, I, I found a counselor. I was 25. And it was the best move I've ever made for myself. I, I got a therapist. And um, I primarily went in talking about my father and because he was a rigid very shut down man and, and pretty negative. And I didn't think he loved me and I was mad at him all the time. And I wanted an emotional relationship with him and he wasn't capable of it and all this stuff. And I remember my therapist was like, okay. And we worked through some of that. And he said, well, what about your mother? I'm like, oh no, my mother, everything's fine with my mother. <laughs> and it took me like two or three years to start to deal with my mother because we were so close and it was so painful to deal with her. But it, through that, um, I just, I was like, I don't know, man. I was a fundamentalist Christian at the time. And I was working at a church as a youth pastor and found this counselor through my church. And then I wasn't making any money. I couldn't make any money doing that. And so I decided I'd go to seminary. And I went to seminary and they had a Christian education um, uh, degree and I hated it. But they also had a counseling concentration. They didn't have a degree. And I took those courses, I took all those courses and I loved them. And the head of the department said, you have a gift, you should pursue it. So then I went to the university and, and got my degree, my graduate degree in counseling and then set up, set up shop mm -hmm. through that. And so that was kind of how I got started. And it's just been 
what I've done since 1990. Has a lot changed since then? As oh my as, gosh. As far as like your methods and stuff, walk us through that a little bit. Well, I started out as a Christian counselor, and um, but again, I was a fundamentalist Christian, and there was so much rigidity and judgment and shame and indoctrinations. You know, the main indoctrination that I remember, there was a lot of good too, by the way. I'm not dissing Christianity. I'm dissing a little bit fundamentalism in any form, mm -hmm. and it takes form in any religion. Um, in any walk of life, you can have fundamentalist conservatives, you can have fundamentalist liberals, you can have fundamentalist everything and anything. And that's when it's just become so incredibly rigid and, and dogmatic. So I am dissing that a little bit, although I think there may be a place for it to give us a sense of safety until we can get our, on our own two feet. And that's what it did for me. It gave me a place of belonging and community, which is what I think the church is best at is community. But for me, it was incredibly limiting. And the message I got was that my heart is deceitful above all else. And it left me not being able to trust myself. I, I did not believe I could trust myself. And it left me um, just feeling so small and so ashamed. And I eventually busted out of that through, it was very, very rough few years there. Very, very, very rough to turn my back on something that had been a part of my life for 25 years. And, um, and I can't even remember your question. Oh, has a lot changed? And yes, a lot has changed in terms of how I coach. And, and I don't do therapy anymore. I just do coaching now. I'm still informed by my therapy. But um, I don't... What's, what's the difference as far as like from the angle that you... Like what is the difference? How do you distinguish the two? Like, well, for me, how I distinguish it, and I don't know what other people would say, is that, that um, therapy is more about going into your past and, 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 and reliving some things, revisiting things and, and healing. And coaching is more about this is where I am today and this is where I want to go. Okay. Um, you know, and, and you can't, I don't, I don't believe you can fully um, separate them out. Some other people might disagree, but I don't think you can completely uh, separate them out. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then of course I wasn't, I was no longer working from a Christian perspective, which was, um, it, it was just a different, it was just a different perspective. So, so how, like, so I guess, I mean, so i I study a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and people like that. And, and I really find it interesting how how doing things such as meditation and you know yoga and just how you can see the brain changing and like you mm -hmm. said how the brain can we can change how we think and how the how what the way we imagine it doesn't know the difference between real and imaginary and that's something that used to be a very woo woo out there concept right mm -hmm. how, how, like how have you been able to like distinguish like the change in that because there's so many people that get so programmed one way and then all of a sudden this new stuff comes and they, it's really hard for them to pivot and take that on. How has that been for you? The pivot for me was, uh, it was, uh, I basically had to dismantle everything oh, and wow. it, al it almost destroyed me. I, I almost died. I almost didn't make it. Wow. And uh, it was very excruciatingly painful and dark and messy. And really? I would do it all again, knowing what I know today. Now, I don't want, I don't want to do it again because <laughs> yeah. I'm at a place of no drama and a lot of peace and just, just enjoyment. But because, uh, you know, 
it, it was dark and messy and it took a real dismantling. And I think that that's why so many people don't do it is because it is really painful to dismantle that level of um, belief of a belief system and a paradigm. And, and that, but that, I think that's what it takes and, and it's not easy. So for me, it, it took dismantling everything, everything. Mm. And um, it, I, I, I almost didn't make it. So I'm grateful that I did. Yeah, well, me too. I mean, there's, but there's so many people that not even with this kind of stuff, but health and nutrition, you know, doctors, there's so many people that their old methods have been proven, you know, to be not effective anymore, but they still believe and they'll just go to the grave on the way they believe. And yeah. it's, I, um, but it takes a lot of courage to say, huh, I learned this for so many years. I did this, but now there's this information. It's like, how do I, you know, it's, yeah, like it's gotta be very challenging to kind of restart, relearn. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I mean, I, I again, the brain wants to stay with what's familiar. So you actually have to override that part of your brain and it's very, very powerful. So, so I have a lot of compassion for people who don't do, do the work, do this work. I mean, I I really do. And, and, and maybe, maybe we're all not called to do it. I don't know. I mean, Mm. who, who am I to say that, that my friends who are still in that world are wrong? I can't say that. I mean, it may be what they need. It may be, it just may be what they need to be, to be safe. And so there's a way in which that's okay with me. I mean, I'm not God. I can't For sure. say that your path should be the same mm-hmm. as my path, but I'll say that I have so much more peace and so much more, you know, I, I feel that my spiritual life is much richer now, which is also how, how have you walk us through that a little bit? Like, how do you connect? you mentioned source, like, how has your spiritual life changed? What do you do differently now? Well, there's not the judgment and the shame anymore. Uh, I mean, I'd say that's the biggest, biggest piece. And, and I, I feel the divine. I mean, I don't call it God anymore. Um, I, but everybody, it, you could call it God, God, source, mystery, yeah. nature, universe, divinity. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. But, but we all know that that which... Um, courses through that, that energy that courses through all of nature and that is living all of us. And, and I feel like I can't tell you exactly what that is, which is hard on the human brain. The brain wants labels. The brain wants, um, you know, the definitions and wants the certainty. Boxes and, put everything. Huh? Put yes. everything into boxes, right? Yes, it's a little bit easier on the brain, but the peace and, and the freedom I feel is so much greater now not being in that small box. And that small box saved me. That small box was something I needed for a while. It absolutely um, was something important for me. So I'm eternally grateful for that. It was just a box that eventually I needed to leave. I needed to leave. Now, some other people may not need to leave it, but I, I needed to leave it. And I just feel so much more connected to, to all, you know. Yeah, because it's more of a place from love, unconditional love rather than fear. And you have to be this way. And it has to be like that. It's just an ugly feeling. Yes. Like it's, it shouldn't be like that. It's the acceptance, right? That yeah. acceptance of you and not, you know, 
of where you're at and other people where they're at. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and the problem again for leaving a world like that, a paradigm like that is, is that um, it feels very dangerous to the brain because the brain wants, especially this primitive part of our brain wants um, to belong. You know, back in the day, if you got kicked out of your tribe, you literally would die. And the brain still remembers that. And so it is really hard to leave a group that you're so, or a worldview or a paradigm that, you're, that you've spent your life living because it feels absolutely dangerous. And, and it does. And I, I actually had to sort of go off grid for about 10 years to get solid, solid enough in myself to be able to come back and, and talk like I'm talking to you now wow. because I would never have said these things, even if I believed them before, because of the fear of the backlash of, of not being accepted, of being rejected. And, and the truth is there, I have had some rejection and, but it hasn't, hasn't killed me. (laughs) I've survived. But the ability though, that you have the tools that won't affect you because you know that in your heart, you're doing the right thing. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't say it doesn't affect me. I mean, there are times where it does affect me, but, but it doesn't harm me. It doesn't damage me. It doesn't, you know, interfere in any major way. It's just a little, sometimes it's a little ego hit or a, or a disappointment or, or a sadness or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to change, you know, because I myself as well, like I've made changes. I've talked about this before, you know, from, just identity and who you were and you want to change and become somebody else. But it's so easy to go back to that other thing because it was so comfortable and that's who you were for a while. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, for me, I was in the bar restaurant and bar industry for so many years that that's who I became. I could yeah. only be that person. You know, I was that, you know, drink that party person. That was where I got the validation from. I've talked mm-hmm. about this so many times. But, you know, I went away from that, but I, you know, I go back and forth because I know that it feels good there and it's hard to fully pull away from there. But why mm-hmm. does that, mm-hmm. even though I know what that, that stuff does to my body, yet I still am gravitated towards going back there? Well, it, what comes to mind is um, Ken Wilber is a uh, American philosopher and, and he talks about, um, about how consciousness is evolving you know, just like there's developmental evol- you know, evolution. We, we, you know, we go from grammar school to middle school to high school to college to graduate school or, or whatever. You know, we grow up. We become mature adults. And he, he says that consciousness is the same, that consciousness is evolving. And one of the things he says that I love so much is he, he talks about transcending our current way, transcending and including. So he, he says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's something good in your old ways. Bring that with you, but evolve it. So transcend and include. It's not just transcend. So there may be, and I listened to a couple of your episodes, you get to include parts of you that were working on some level for you. It's not necessarily an either or thing. You know, so you, you get to play with that a little bit and be gentle with yourself about that. And, and maybe the best word is curious. Get really curious about, about this back and forth that you're talking about. 
get really curious about it and see what might be there for you. Maybe some gold is there for you rather than kind of raking yourself over the coals. Oh, I've gone back. I know this is bad for me. Well, there's something drawing you back. Go get really, really curious about that. Explore that and see what treasure might be there for you that would enable you to, to keep, to keep evolving. So transcend and include. It's not just about throwing out everything I was back there. Yeah. But Does why, that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, you know, that's kind of, it's, and I've, I've done that as far as taking what I used in the bar industry and creating a podcast to connect with people. I was doing the same, but instead of selling them booze, now I connect with them and have these conversations. Yeah. And that was what I loved about the bar industry. But like, I just, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And you're right, just being curious. And it's like also beating yourself up. Like it's so easy. Why do we do that? Like why do we beat ourselves up about things? What is, what is the point of that? Like do you see that with entrepreneurs and people? Oh, like, God, yeah. Like why do people beat themselves up so much? There's this, I, I don't know when it happened. I could probably, if I sat and thought about it long enough, I might could come up with, the re, with that answer. But I just think there's this, this um, for one thing, I think at least in this culture, in Western culture, there's this idea of this, this extraordinary individualism and perfectionism. And, you know, it's, it's become all up to me. You know, it's all up to me. And if I can't do it all by myself, there's something wrong with me. And I think entrepreneurs can really fall into that notion because they want to be successful. You know, they, they, they want to do a great job. And of course, the successful ones are so smart and, and they are doing a great job, but, but then there's this individualism. I can't get support. I can't get help. And then there's this perfectionism. I've got to do it perfectly. And if I don't, I've got to hide that. And so then they hide it. And then other people don't know that they have failed and struggled. And so, you know, this is what I love about people like you and Matt Labrie and Kayla Kane and different people like that who are showing up in a different way as a man. I love it that you're showing up in authenticity, in vulnerability, and that you're showing that you struggle. Mm. And, and oh my gosh, Lance, people need to see that. Men especially need to see that. Women need to see that. That it's okay to show up imperfectly because we're human. The human condition is messy. Yeah. And we, we try to hide the mess. You look at social media, everybody's perfectly quaffed. I wore foundation and all this makeup for years, every day to go to present myself in a certain way. I don't do that. I wear, I wear lipstick now and that's it. And, but that was a little scary, you know, to transition to that. Well, will I, will I be acceptable? Mm -hmm. And everything is, is quaffed before that we put it out there. And it gives people the idea that that's what's needed when really I think the more people like you guys can show up and be vulnerable and real and say, man, I'm really confused, man. I don't really know what I'm doing or man, I do know what I do and I'm doing, but here I don't and struggle and show your, your struggle and your vulnerability and your authenticity. It's beautiful. And I'll tell you this, I bet that your podcast is as successful as it is because you show that people want to see real and they want um, to, they, they feel compelled to connect to real. So that's yeah. why I love, that's why when I listened to your podcast, I fell a little bit in love with you because it's like, oh my gosh, 
here's this guy showing up like this, this manly guy, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's beautiful. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of like, it's what I needed when I was struggling. I needed to see that in other people mm-hmm. and the people that I admired the most did that. And I found that accidentally, I didn't know, but the more I shared, the, the, the more often I shared, the more I healed, the more like the stuff that I went through, the more I felt better about it. So yeah. holding it in, although it may feel like, you know, oh, I don't want to deal with it. It's you're dealing with it still. Like it's mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. I found the more I talk about it and have these kind of conversations, it's like, it just, I feel a little bit better and I'm become less of a victim, mm-hmm. you know? I feel more empowered every single time. And I think a lot of men, a lot of men and women, maybe, I mean, there's a lot of women that listen to the show too, that give me awesome feedback and I'm so grateful for them, but I never realized that that would have like, you know, and it's, it's so awesome. But I, I really think that there's a lot of men that think showing that real side, that, that expressing their truth is a weakness and that's, it's too bad. It is too bad. And, and I think that um, women um, say they want the sensitive man, but then when the man is sensitive, it freaks them out <laughs> because they've been indoctrinated too with how a man's supposed to be. So even if they say they want it and they believe they want it, a lot of times it freaks them out when the man is sensitive. So you guys have a lot, uh, that's a lot to deal with. You know, you really do. You have a lot to overcome. And it's not easy for you. That's so interesting because even when I've met, you know, the, the women I used to meet in the past, you know, me being the bad boy bartender guy versus the ones I meet now, it's just so interesting because like that just doesn't, I'm the same person. I've just evolved into like a better, like a better version of me without mm-hmm. being cliche. Right. But it's so funny how those bad boy people that, that image are actually the ones that need the most love because yes. they're just, they're just putting on a facade. Exactly. And it's, it's the a- sense of ones that are actually the strength. Like I've noticed that in my own self. I was like, I was this way and I would act like this. And I see the people, I see the, the, the damaged goods. Like I see the, the traumas and it's like, yeah, on the yeah. outside, they look like big, tough people and big rebels, but they're actually the ones that need the hug. <laughs> yeah, it's a bur- it's a terrible burden. You know, like it's here. crazy. Yeah. It's it crazy. It and is. then the people speaking their truth and actually, you know, trying their best to like, you know, share that the vulnerabilities are actually the strong ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as you said, it, it's healing you to talk about it. And it's not only healing you; it's helping heal those who listen to you. Yeah, for sure. It's a gift. It, yeah, it really is. You know, and. I, I would love to talk about, you know, the last five months and I would love to just hear on like how that's been for you as far as like dealing with the panic of the world and the entrepreneurs and even with yourself, like how has the last month, five months in this pandemic been for you? Well, it's been really, I've heard the saying we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Yeah. My boat's pretty comfortable. I'm in a, in a pretty you know, secure, solid 
time in my life. I mean, I'll, I turned 60 in less than a month and a half. And, um, you know, life is pretty well figured out for me at this point, as much as one can. And um, I'm a, an extreme introvert. I work from home and have been for years. So, so there's not been a whole lot of change for me. I mean, I can't hug my friends. Uh, I can't go out to eat. But other than that, um, life is pretty normal. I will say that uh, in the very beginning, especially, I felt the collective tr stress. I think there's a collective stress that, that people can't, for the most part, can't help but feel. Um, so, so I think all of us are sort of carrying a little bit of extra stuff that's not all mine. There's a collectiveness to it. So I think we have to be a little more gentle with ourselves. We may all need a little more rest. We may all need a little more downtime. And I think that to accept that and allow for that is really important. You know, I think that the, the problem becomes when we suffer is when we create a stressful narrative or story about this, about how this is going to be. And we start, again, we start living in our imagination about it. And we're living in a whole lot of fear about it. I think that's when we start to get in trouble. Fear about, uh, I was concerned a little bit in the beginning about my business. And my business has not suffered at all. There are people, I have friends who are suffering horribly financially because of the pandemic. And, and what I say to those friends is, you gotta stay as best as you can in this moment because we do not know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know how, how it's gonna be. You know, you are surviving today. <laughs> stay, stay in today as best as you can because when you start straddling the past and the future, you're gonna really be off balance. You're gonna lose your clarity. I, I believe that we are built for the reality of this present moment that we can handle in this present moment, whatever comes our way. What we can't handle is um, trying to go too far into the future and trying to manage what we don't even know yet, how it's going to be. Then I think we start to lose our clarity. But if we can stay in this moment and stay clear through our meditation, through our yoga, through our prayer, through our connection with nature, whatever it is for you, then we have access to our own innate wisdom and resourcefulness to find our way in the next, in the next moment. And you see this all the time in catastrophes where people come together and they help each other through, through horrible situations, people find their way through. So we can find our way through this pandemic as long as we stay as much as we can in the present moment and also be willing to get support. You know, we're social animals. We need support. We need each other. Yeah. Well, I would think for you, I mean, what you do that you would have had a, a big influx of business for sure, because people need help more than ever getting through this. Like talk about a life, talk about a world of anxiety filled decisions and fear. Like you mm -hmm. must've had people just, you know, left, right and center. And then I'm like, what are they? Of course they're scared. Like what do you, do you see, do you see like just stuff are usually the people freaking out the ones that just don't have the tools or what do you see in the common person these days that you're that like, what is like a common thing, a common denominator as far as like um, entrepreneurs, professionals, you know, that are struggling during this time. 
You know, I think in the beginning, especially in the very beginning, I think people kind of hunkered down and shut down. And so people were not reaching out at that time. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if they had extra money to spend on this kind of work. Um, I think a lot of people just sort of went into protection mode. And now I think people are beginning to kind of go, okay, we're going to have to figure out how to navigate this because this is not going away anytime soon. So, and I don't believe we've found a new normal yet, which I think is also hard on our, again, back to brain science. I think, again, that's hard on our brains because our brains want normal. And I don't think we've reached a place of normal yet. So I think we're, we're all sort of navigating um, something new and, and can't find a normal yet. And I think that can be very stressful. But the thing that I see, the common thing I see is, is, uh, people just fearful of the future and they're making up stories about different people are making up different stories about the future and the people who are making up a stressful future. We don't know. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. The truth is we've never known in a way. I mean, the beauty for me about this pandemic is that the idea of certainty has always been an illusion and, and this pandemic, in a way, has revealed that. So we're not living really any differently than we were. We just thought we had more certainty and security. Oh, that's such a good point. And, and I think that before this pandemic, I had figured that piece out through all, through all the things I've been through. So the pandemic hasn't hit me that hard, as hard, for a number of reasons, not just because of knowing that certainty and security is an illusion in the, in the first place. And, and I think the people who have built the, the strongest fortresses around themselves have the biggest wake-up call when they lose it all. You know, I've lost it all. I have lost it all. I have lost all my money. I have lost my home. I have lost my health. I have lost my faith. I have lost my marriage. I have lost my vision and my future. And so for me, the fall now is, is like this, this high. But for people who have built these fortresses, and some of the very successful entrepreneurs have built these fortresses that they believe are impenetrable. And then when they are penetrated, it's devastating. So I feel really fortunate that, um, I know it's all an illusion. I still forget. Don't get me wrong. That's such a good point. <laughs> it's because it's always been uncertain. Mm -hmm. But yet we think it is. I think the biggest skills that we as humans can develop are flexibility. Um, and there's another one that just escaped my mind. It, flexibility is huge. You know, just learning to go with the flow. We can't control it. We can't, we can't control this life. We simply can't. And so if we can develop um, flexibility and flow, we're going to get through this life much more easily. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best way to check you out and to, if they want to work with you? Well, uh, CarlaRoyal.com, Carla with a C, is where to find me. Instagram, you can find me. Facebook, you can find me. Not Instagram. Instagram has shut me down because somebody mirrored my account. And they, they shut me down instead of the... Really? 
Yeah, and I can't get back on Instagram right now. I've been trying to get back on for a month, so don't go there yet. But CarlaRoyal.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, you can find me all there. I and a colleague are getting ready to start a podcast that we hope to start August 1st called Riffing on Realness. And it's all about um, learning, you know, how to be real, allowing ourselves to be real out there in a world that expects us to not be real and to be vulnerable and how that can can give us a lot more richness and enjoyment in life and flow. So those are, those are the best ways um, to, to, to find me. And I, I'm a mindset and performance coach and I work with high achieving, high performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with anxiety. So that means when I say quietly dealing with it, that means that they have it, they know it, on some level and they don't want anybody to know it. They don't want anybody to reveal it because they're supposed to be powerful and successful. And, and, um, and I love my clients. We have the best time. Uh, I bet. I mean, just chatting with you is just such a breath of fresh air. It's like, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been so awesome. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the more we can, create this awareness around this, this subject, the better. And, you know, I also, I got a lot out of the meaning that we give these things to. It's not always as bad as we think, you know, like just for a minute, you said that and I was like, you know what, it's, what, what am I creating in my own head here? Yeah. And just real quickly, if we have one more minute, just one of the things that's changed profoundly for me in the work I do with others and the work I do with myself is that in the past, and you can imagine as a therapist and a coach and with my sensitive personality, that when I got down, I would analyze it to death and I would judge myself to death. And what that did was keep it alive. It fed it. It keep it alive. It kept it alive. And now when I wake up in a low mood, which I do, I'm human, we all do, or if I feel some anxiety, I simply for the most part, this is not always true, but for the most part, I simply, uh, I just don't take it so personally and so seriously. I don't spend the time judging it or trying to figure out why today am I waking up. I just, I note it. I acknowledge it. Gosh, I'm feeling low today. And then I just go on about my day. And what I find is that, that a few hours later, uh, I, I I look up and it's like, oh, it's gone or it's still there. And then I just go back to what my day. It no longer interferes. It no longer become takes on. There's a difference in having your emotions and collapsing into your emotions or your emotions having you. And you, you can feel the difference. It's fine to have all of your emotions. It's beautiful to have all your emotions. They can be informative. But don't become your emotions. Don't collapse into your emotions. And that takes some time to figure out how not to do that. It takes a little bit of practice and a little bit of work, but very, very possible. Love that. One question I always end with, and I've asked everybody, except I forgot maybe five people in the 240 something episodes. Wow. Out of all the adversity that you've gone through, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Well, I think that oh, you, you, you end on a very powerful question. I think that adversity is just part of life. And if, I'm, if I may read this quote to you from, from Pema Chodron, oh, I lost it. Never mind. She talks about how, you know, things, we think that the idea is that, that we get to this certain level where things just are, are good. 
and she says that, that things come together and things fall apart. And they come together again and they fall apart again. And that's just the way of it. And when we recognize that we just, this is a roller coaster. And it's really okay. It's actually how it's supposed to be. And we don't have to fear it anymore. And I think adversity taught me that um, at, at the core of who I am, at my essence, nothing can damage me, nothing can harm me. I'm divinity, I'm star stuff. And that all these things that happen, I am, um, I'm, I'm created, I'm built for, the, for reality. I'm built for the roller coaster. And if I relax into it, sort of like riding a wave rather than trying to stand in the midst of a wave, then I'm, life is going to be a lot easier. So I think I would just say that you're okay, man. We're okay. We're okay. It's okay. <laughs> Love it. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. I really you, appreciate Nancy. it. We're going to have everything in the show notes. You guys, make sure to check out Carla. She's awesome, as you heard. And make sure to follow her on social media and all that good stuff. So again, thank you so much, Carla. This was awesome. Thank you, Lance. I enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody. If you guys got value from this, please leave us a review on Apple. I always appreciate it. And if you can, hit that subscribe button. It's all free. It comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And as always, guys... Love you. Appreciate you. We'll catch you next time.